You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org. So, this is the third, I think it is, in our series of talks about spiritual practices, exploring ancient traditions and developing our faith as a way of life. And this morning we're going to talk just briefly about prayer. I say briefly about prayer. Prayer is one of those things that even if we uh, had a huge seminar around this issue that lasted the rest of the day and we all got actively involved in it, there'd still be questions to unpack. But what I want to do in this little little bit before we move on in our service because we've got other things to do is just answer this question or suggest the beginning of an answer to you on these questions to go away and talk about and debate and to think about what is prayer does prayer change God's mind ever and what happens when we pray therefore so if we can do that in the next 10 minutes that'd be jolly helpful there's something flicking on and off the whole time here so um, flick flick very appropriate name is gonna is stopped it altogether There you go. No, I think it... Right, okay. Great. (laughs) Is it working? No. Try not not to be distracted by it. Should we we just dispense with it altogether? Because otherwise it just flips all the way through. Let's just uh, turn it off and get it sorted on another day. No, let's turn it off and get it sorted on another day. Because there's enough flicking on that. Hey, great. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, prayer and answer, try to begin to suggest answers and a debate. Because I'm sure as I speak, some of you will say, he didn't say this and he didn't mention this and my experience is this and what about that? And you can't possibly say that. And what about the Old Testament uh, a, a story where, where, where um, Abraham changed God's mind and all of that kind of thing, which we're not going to talk about, by the way. Um, But if you want to know more and you want to ask your questions, we're going to devote this evening to that. So the evening congregation, uh, the uh, coffee shop congregation this evening, we're just going to be answering questions about all this kind of stuff. And often she'd... uh, I'd uh, travel on the train down to uh, Gatwick because this committee used to meet outside of London and she'd pick me up in her car because she'd drive from somewhere else at the uh, train station by the airport and then we'd do the last leg of the journey together and we'd go to the town where we always held our executive meetings and there was a big multi-storey car park that was b- belonged to Tesco's or Sainsbury's or someone like that and we had to park there and we'd drive around. And my friend would say, Steve, let's pray every time. And she'd say, let's pray for a parking space. And so we'd drive around this multi-story thing, up and up and up and up, searching for a parking space. And if she couldn't see one, she'd say, Steve, you're not praying hard enough. You're not praying hard enough. Piling on the guilt for me. It was her, I thought, that wasn't praying hard enough. But anyway, we'd circle round and round and round. If we found a parking space, she would say, praise God. You see, Steve, God always answers prayer praise Jesus and he'd get the credit if we didn't find a parking space I'd get the blame it was incredible God always took the credit when a parking space came up but I always got the blame when it didn't God never got the blame for not answering prayer now that's at a silly level but 
it's the kind of prayer that people pray all the time. I mean, I do it myself sometimes. You know, Palace, my great football team. We were struggling just a few weeks ago. Would we make 40 points and would we stay in the Premier League? I know this is boring, most of you. But then we beat Arsenal. We beat Arsenal all the way through that match. It was nail. It's nail biting. And it got down to two all. And then we made it three, two. And I said, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayers. So I'm as vacuous as that. So we use prayer in this kind of superstitious way, don't we? But we all know that actually this is simplistic and it is shallow and it is a kind of Christianized form of magic. So what is prayer? There are lots of immature answers to this, but we all live in a world that's filled with as much pain as it is pleasure. Immaturity in faith always wants a positive answer. We stick in our request list to God and it's his job to sort it all out. But all we've got to do is stop and observe the real world, the world in which we live personally or together and we know it's not always like this. I developed a bit of a friendship in the last uh, six, seven months with um, someone, uh, uh, an American woman, um, who was becoming a friend of mine, his name is Rachel Held Evans. Some of you will know about Rachel. Um, uh, Rachel, um, I was talking to her about the book that I've just written about Paul, and um, Rachel's got this enormous uh, Twitter following, and she uh, liked the book, and she said she was going to promote the book, and uh, we were just getting ready to, as to how she was going to do that uh, uh, with me. Uh, Rachel... Um, was um, 37 years old, um, fantastic theologian and author. Um, she played a really important part in American Christianity. Uh, she stuck up for, she fought for uh, the inclusion of all minorities, the indigenous people. She fought for people of color. She fought for women. She fought for LGBT uh, inclusion. She sent a tweet out a month and a bit ago that uh, she just tweeted people and, and said, I'm not feeling uh, so well. I'm going into hospital. Two weeks ago, yesterday, she died. 37. She left two young children and a grieving husband. Some people would say, oh, well, the Lord needed... You've heard all these cliches, haven't you? The Lord needed her. Her time was up. She'd done what she was here to do. She hadn't done what she was here to do. Her children needed her. Her husband needed her. Her community needed her. America needed this woman. And she's gone. It's a tragedy. It's not God's timing. And if it is God's timing, it's still a tragedy and a very bad judgment on the part of God. To rip a mother away from two young children is obscene. So what happens when we pray? Because people were praying for Rachel. She went into a coma, an induced coma actually, and was in the induced coma for uh, over two weeks. But the doctors couldn't save her life. The doctors were fighting to save the life of this young mum. But some Christians 
would simply say God had chosen to take her. That really is the issue, isn't it? At the heart of the issue. And I personalize it in this story of this wonderful woman that I knew. But what about this city and knife and gun crime? What about the kids that we've lost over this last year? From council estates, where the politicians who make decisions about the spending never go, have never stood, have never gone up in one of those lift shafts or tried to walk up one of those corridors, have never smelt the urine, have never been in one of those flats with its damp. What about that? Or what about the issue of poverty and financial exclusion, the rise of food banks, not just in our community, but communities across this country. 4,000 people live in, they estimate now, government estimate, on the streets of London. Just sleeping out rough on the streets of London. Or what about the ongoing discrimination, in fact growing discrimination, on the basis of race and colour and gender and disability and sexuality as cuts are made to welfare? and health? Or what about the huge ecological crisis that's hanging over us all, that's hanging over our whole planet? Or what about global political rivalry and aggression and the increased polarization that's going on in spite of all the prayers for peace? Anyone who says, pray about it and change, if things will change, hasn't read the newspaper, switched on the TV, listened to the radio, not grieved for a friend or a loved one, a child or a parent who's been struck down in an untimely way. That's the reality, isn't it? That's the reality. So what is prayer? Does prayer ever change God's mind? And what happens when I pray? If this um, thing had been working, I, I would have shown you something now. When I was a kid, I was taught that prayer had four parts. And you can remember it well because of the word Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Acts. The first, it, for A, is adoration. The second, for C, confession. The third, for T, thanksgiving. And the fourth, for S, supplication, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And I think that life's much more of a mystery than writing it out in lists like that. But I actually think I learned something great through that as a kid. I learned this, that the first part of prayer is adoration, and the second part of prayer is, thank is confession, and the third part of prayer is thanksgiving. And none of it is about bringing a list of complaints to God. All of it is an acknowledgement of the gift of life and its opportunity. All of it is about reflecting on ways in which I can improve my performance, offer more to people, be less self-centered, be more other-centered, devote my life and my time and my energy and my minutes and my hours or days or weeks or months or years, whatever I have, to the things that matter, to live intentionally, to live on purpose rather than to meander through life. All of it 
is about thanksgiving for the good things that I have. And they'd always add acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and lastly, supplication. To pray for, to yearn for the needs of others, to enter this great fight. The thing is, it seems to me that as Christians, we want to sell a product. Everyone's got a product. It's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on the telly, it's in the newspapers. Everyone has a product. And the church finds itself pushed into a position where it wants to sell a product. And the product is this, give your life to Jesus and life will be happy and it will run right. You will be happy. We want to sell a finished, polished product that's filled with smiles and happy, perfect lives and mums and dads with perfect kids that never scream and shout and wonderful relationships that never go broke, uh, get broken. We're looking for a miracle cure for everything. But the truth, and we say this because we say the world's watching the church. So we've got to present a good polished image on the side of buses and things it's got to be Jesus sorts your life out because the world is watching. Well, the truth is the world is watching. And because the world is watching us, I believe it would be better if we were honest. We're broken. I look at you because I know you and I love you and I know so many of you well. As I look around, I can hardly see a face here that I don't know the brokenness of the story behind. I don't know the struggle that you are dealing with. So many of you, my friends, and if I don't know you, if I don't know a story like that about you, it's just because I don't know you. But as I look here, everyone, I'm looking around, everyone, I can see that I know, I know something in as far as you... In as far as I've been open enough for you to be open with me, I know something of your hopes, your dreams, your struggle, your frustrations, your failures. So if the world is watching, isn't it better that we're honest? Isn't it better that we're honest? That life doesn't run right? That sometimes life's just shit? That sometimes everything works against us? That sometimes we just want to give up. That sometimes it's just hard to keep standing still, let alone moving forward. That sometimes it's just hard not to say, I submit. And in all of this reality, that, I believe, is where we find God. In this struggle... It strikes me, and I've been a Christian since I was 14, and I'm 63. That's a long time. And I've listened to more talks on prayer, and I've been to more conferences on prayer and seminars and workshops. I've, listened, I've read books on prayer. I've preached sermons on prayer than I could shake a stick at. But over those years, those 40 years, what I've learned is this. I've learned it's better to tell the truth. I've learned there are no quick fixes. I've learned, as I would say, I say it in a book that I wrote, which is called Being Human. 
I've learned this, that I believe that God doesn't control everything, that God, though, is doing God's best. God is fighting for us. I don't think that's a statement of heresy. I think it's what the Bible teaches. Paul, in a prison, open prison, actually, in house prisonment, uh, when he was writing his little letter to these Ephesians, frustrated by the fact that he wants to go to Rome, but he's, in, he's, he's stuck in, in under house imprisonment, he says this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting with this guy who's standing guard at my door. He's just doing his job. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and we wrestle against powers and we wrestle against authorities, and we wrestle against policies, and we wrestle against legislation, and we wrestle against blindness. That's what we're wrestling against. We wrestle against all these things, so we will put on the armor of the Spirit of God, and we will keep, and we will keep moving forward. We've been working for and praying for in, in this church on Sunday mornings, I wouldn't know, I don't know if you can take a guess at how many times you've been here and you've heard us praying about the issue of knife crime or the alienation of young people or the lack of facilities for young people. We prayed about it. And this morning we went and took some pictures outside the police station. And you may think, oh boy, you know, that was a break from a church service and some worship. We went and took a picture instead. No, it's worship and it's prayer. Prayer is that ongoing way in which I or you choose to live our lives. With, with uh, Leanne just now, and we paused and we reflected and we thought in silence about these important issues. But our task is to move forward with them all of the time. This week, a strange thing happened to me. It was, um, I had to go to India last weekend, and I got back on Monday night, went to an Oasis board meeting out in India, and I got back in, on Monday night, it was about, half, I don't know, half seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, can't remember, and I got off the plane, and I got, uh, got back at, at home, and someone you don't know, but she's the chief, uh, group chief executive of Oasis, some of you know, Joy Madeira, she came to India with me. So we got off the plane and she stayed at uh, our house with Connie and I that night. So, but the next morning we had to get up because we had a board meeting for what's called Oasis Global in Bradford. In Bradford, we, uh, there's a thing called Oasis Academy Lister Park in a poor Muslim community in Bradford and the school's doing brilliantly. So we took the whole board up to Bradford so that they could see what's going on in that community. So we had to get up and get on a tube and get to Bradford because of all the work that needs to be done there. So. I'm, but I'm thinking about the police station and we've written some press releases to go with, um, do you know, uh, what's, uh, what we, the pictures we, uh, we took just, just then. So I'm think, beginning to think about, I'm thinking about all of that, not just beginning, and meeting with Sadiq Khan and all sorts of people in the mayor's office about meetings about our battle to win this police station for the good of the community. Anyway, go down on the tube and it's, it's, it's um, half seven in the morning, no, it must have been earlier, seven in the morning, and the tube train is absolutely rammed. You know those ones where people are just totally squashed up against the glass? And, um, and um, 
So I was going to muscle my way onto one, but then I thought, Joy's with me, and I don't want to do that. And then I looked down the, st- I looked down the platform, and there was one tube carriage that seemed to have slightly less, it was still crammed, but more people were getting off. So I thought there'd be a bit more, bit more space. So I said to Joy, follow me, run! Well, she's not so good at running. But anyway, I ran, and I, I ran, well, she is a runner, but you know what I mean, not a 100-meter sprinter. And... Um, and so I ran as fast as I could, and I got to this, uh, this tube door before the d- door shut, so I could, you know, you stand, you know, you block the door from shutting, don't you, by standing there. So I block the door from shutting, and then Joy gets there, and I clamber her on board, by which time everybody squashed in like sardines is looking, do you know, at, at, at me. And, um, and then I see there's another lady standing out on the platform, and it's... I mean, it is so full, this train. And I think she was looking so forlorn that she was get, there was no room on the train. So I stood back in the doorway. I said, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And we squeezed this lady on, and then the doors went slam like that. And anyway, by then, everybody standing around the doors was all kind of into this. And then I turned around, and this woman said to me, well done, Steve. And I thought, oh, she knows my name. So I turned around to her, and... It's the leader of Lambeth Council who has just left Lambeth Council to go to head up Sadiq Khan's violence reduction unit. She is the one woman on my list to talk to. <laughs> she is, honestly, I've got it, but I've not got round to it over the weeks because I said, her name's Lib. And I said, good morning, Lib. <laughs> I said, let me tell you about Kennington, which she knows well, you know. Let me tell you about Kennington Road Police Station. And did a little like she knew her. And I said, and I need a meeting with Sadiq and you, the three of us, in a room. We have to do this because you've got a lot of people who are kind of just shunting this all out the way all the time. So it has to be me and you sitting in a room with Sadiq. She said, email me about it. So then she had to get off. That night, I go to email her about it, and I realise I've got a mobile number, but her email has changed because it's now a City Hall one, not a Lambeth one. So I can't email her. So instead, I sent her a text, and I didn't even know whether it would still be her mobile number, whether she would have changed it, or whether she was just fobbing me off anyway, you know, because she's got a lot to do. So I texted her. I said, Lib, great to see you on the train this morning. Um, I haven't got your right email. I'd asked my PA, Judith, to find the email, and, they, and City Hall wouldn't give out the email. So wouldn't give out any emails. So I said, I, I, I said, Lib, my PA tried to get your email, but City Hall's not giving it out. I can't email you. Um, if you're interested in talking, uh, just text me back. About half an hour later, and have we won the police station yet or not? It's all complicated, it's all messy, it's all mixed up. But I've learned that a prayer is a life. A life lived, yearning intentionally for the purposes of God's kingdom. And stuff goes wrong. And Paul, the great follower of Jesus, says, we're wrestling, we're fighting, it's not easy. We win and we lose. He, of course, lost his life in the end. We wrestle and we fight. It strikes me that's the truth of the mystery of prayer. We live intentionally. And for every success we celebrate. 
And there are so many things in this community that I can tell you about that in some senses are miracles or in my family life are miracles and there are so many things that I could tell you about that are just despairing, that were lost. But we live our life in this way. What's all this got to do with the story of the prodigal son? Simply this. This son sets out from home, arrogant. He is the son of the owner, the father. And he sets out to spend the money and wealth because it comes on tap to him. The resources are on tap. And then he runs out and he comes home and he's welcomed. But as Ben was reading the story, you may or may not have noticed this, summed up in two little phrases. As the son was leaving home, he went to his father and he said to his father, give me my share of the property, the money now. Did you read that? The, the son goes to the father and says, give me my share now. And the father gives him his share of the money and he goes. He ends up in a pigsty because life is like that sometimes to us all. And he comes back to his father and this is what he says. Father, make me your servant. It took a trip to a pigsty to change a prayer from give me, give me, give me, give me into one that said make me. Make me your servant. It seems at the heart of the mystery of prayer and how God is at work, there has to be a change of attitude. From a prayer life, whatever shape that takes, whether it's sitting through a liturgy or in silence or on a bus or a train, from a prayer life that's about, give me this, Give me a result for palace. Give me a parking space. Give me health. Give me a good pension plan. Give me a good result. Give me my exam results. Give me a job. Give me this. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. To an attitude that says, Father, make me. Make me your servant. I will live my life intentionally your way. Let's pray. Lord, in the complexity of life, we sometimes struggle. Sometimes life overwhelms us. Some of us here are worried about the debt that we're in. We're worried about the relationships we're in or the relationships that we're not in. We're worried about the job that we're in, our relationship with our colleagues. We're worried about our health. We're worried about the planet. We're worried about this city. We're worried about our children. We're concerned about the quality of the air that people breathe. We're concerned for people around the world that they might eat healthily and thrive. We're concerned for every child that's abused and forgotten and unloved and not cared for. We're concerned for everyone that's turned to drugs or to alcohol or to some other addiction to prop up life. 
in an attempt to overcome the things that shadow their future. This is our prayer. Make us your servants. Make us those that work with all our energy and all our capacity to serve others. We choose to walk the way of Jesus. We choose to go the extra mile. We choose to wash the feet. We choose to love the other as we love ourselves because we love you. Guide us and be with us as we continue to pray with all our energy, with all our lives, as we continue to lean into the words that we offer and commit ourselves to seeing them through. As we trust in you, as we wrestle and fight to bring your kingdom into our lives and into our world. This is our prayer. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit www.oasiswaterloo.org.